You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunting is destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now on today's episode, I have got on Hawk Jensen. He is the co-producer of the documentary, which is called Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty. Welcome to the show, Hawk. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Zuby. No doubt. So I've done a brief intro there, but for people who are not familiar with who you are because you've recently come out in the shadows, tell them a little bit about who you are and what it is that you're doing. Sure, yeah. Um, about six months ago, I and a bunch of uh, colleagues in the, in the film business in the Los Angeles area, uh, we were looking at what was going on with the lockdowns and could see really see that there was a problem. I mean, we, you know, like so many, were like this: the the science doesn't add up. The the lockdowns seem rather draconian, and uh, we're just gonna you know, we, something needs to be done. And so we came together and formed. Uh, ultimately an anonymous group called sound mind creative group it's a it's a network of dissident artists and filmmakers uh because we were concerned about cancel culture and it's actually we were already used to the group think of la and if you have your own original ideas or, or non non uh, approved ideas in la you don't work as much so a lot of the, uh, a lot of my colleagues were like all right we want to we want to work on this but how do we do so um without risking our normal careers. And uh, so we formed the Soundmind Creative Group and with the sole purpose of creating a docu-series that we're calling um, Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty. Uh, I'm, uh, a t- I'm a co-producer, and uh, but I'm attached to Direct as well. And I decided to go ahead and start talking about it openly and publicly. I've I already made a bunch of films about dissidents and looking at collective suppression and, and uh, have already had my experience uh, going against the grain and being a dissident filmmaker in L.A. So I felt comfortable doing it. But uh, but we're also trying to emphasize privacy for our filmmakers and a lot of talent that are on board with this project. And then, and then ultimately the project itself is we're trying to, we we want to look at the, the science. We want to look at, uh, did the data and the scientific um, narrative that was presented to us, did that really add up to these draconian lockdowns that, that were foisted upon us? And then, you know, mask measures and now vaccines, it's all, or the jab or whatever we need to call it at this point. Um, you know, we, we, we feel that we wanted to jump into that and tell that story and tell an alternative story to what we feel is in the mainstream. Gotcha. So... What was it that initially made you want to create this documentary? What was there? Was there a particular instance or a particular policy or something that at what point did that sort of penny drop where you were like, wait, something is 
something is going weird here? Was it from the beginning or was it sometime into it? Well, for me personally, uh, it was the moment I heard the term lockdown and flatten the curve. Um, I, I've been working, I, I did a series called Witness Project, I've been, which was working with uh, dissidents who survived the Soviet Union Cold War era or current uh, collectivist regimes. And so I'd spent a lot of time the last five years talking to dissidents all the time. And I just noticed that the the way things were presented never really added up in my mind it uh i just i had a feeling there was that initial sort of maybe like a few days like oh there's this mysterious virus and and yes there's an element of danger to it but the but the 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 level of quote-unquote lockdown um i turned to my my, my friends and colleagues at the time I was like this isn't going to last two weeks this is get, this is going to blow right past that and once it's in place it will not be let up and that was for me. That was when I, I was I was concerned from the get go. I, I I was in full sort of um, uh, high alert from the moment the idea of lockdowns was presented. So that that was my my inception point. Mm. Why do you think some people picked up on that so early, while other people didn't? And even twenty months in, some people are still in denial. I I think it's placed a lot to the power of media. I mean, we we're all media consumers and whatnot, but I think we really have lost track of how powerful the medium of film and television and, and radio and podcasts and, and it really are. It really, it's a faux reality. So if you, if you're getting all of your information from the sort of trifecta of CNN, New York times and, uh, and NPR, I mean, that's just a constant, re uh, there's a reaffirming of the same narrative over and over and over. The sheer repetition is understood to program us and, and, and kind of, it's, it's not critical thinking, it's not thinking it through, it just becomes a form of regurgitation. And I feel that there's, if there's no real obvious pushback against it, people just go along to get along, like, oh, okay, like the lockdowns are what we have to do. And they, th there's really not that discerning, um, method of thinking that allows people to understand that perhaps they should question what their what their what their eyes and their ears are telling them because that's all they consume and i i and i, I it's very pervasive and it's very uh, persuasive and uh and then once you've made a decision i think people are very fearful of making decisions for themselves and and they're and everyone's terrified of the word no people don't like to say no to anyone so so to go along to get along not want to say no not to make up decisions for yourself and this constant repetition of the same narrative over and over i mean who why should we tr distrust the government if you're average every every everyday person or why should you distrust the news or why should you distrust what you read in the new in the newspaper if, if for those who still read that um mm -hmm it's it's it just becomes it becomes the reality and then there there seems to be those of us who just have a, discer a discernment i just hear it you can just hear you can hear it in there there's something not ringing correct and there are those of us who are he he heeding that ring and heeding that call i feel mm. do you find it weird that we're going into november 2020 many places there are entire countries that are still in lockdown there's places which are worse now than they were in March or April 2020 in terms of liberty and freedom, despite yeah. the fact that the the threat has really waned. Of course, every single person in the world, no, sorry, every single person in the Western world at this stage who wants a vaccine has had two or even three. Everyone who wants it has had it. It's available, been available to everybody for a very long period of time, but it keeps amping up. It keeps ramping up. And People are still fearful. I mean, I made a tweet which went viral, which said that everyone who's still afraid of COVID is, is fully vexed, which uh, yeah. sounds hilarious, but it's, but it's truthful.
right? That's not saying everyone who's mm-hmm. fully vaxxed is still afraid of COVID, mm-hmm. but everyone who is still running on this fear campaign and who is promoting this denigration of the so-called unvaccinated and who is pushing for these passports and all of these really draconian, very illiberal policies. Um, it, it's weird. It seems that people are, there are people who have become more fearful, which seems really, really backwards to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think it's incredibly difficult for people to admit they've made a mistake. People don't like to do that. Uh, the reason in part that we want to do this series on Lockdowns and Liberty, uh, follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty, is that you know we wanted to create a, a counter narrative, an alternative narrative to allow people to save face. Um, I think you know the, the, the idea of saving face, I think, is alive and well in, in the Western world, even though it's not as common, say, in the, the Eastern. I mean, the Eastern world is an understood part of the culture. And giving people the ability to have a story where like, oh, I wasn't fully informed. So therefore, you know, they, they need a story to get out. They need a story to kind of guide them away from the current story that they're that they're believing so succinctly as, as you're describing and I just think that it's it's very difficult for for that that like people don't want to think they've been hoodwinked. They'd rather double down. I mean, I, I've actually had number of elderly family members. I mean, a lot of my family are split on it. I mean, like so many, and I've heard of family members, and I've heard this repeated before, where uh, elderly uh, folks are like, "I'd rather die uh, thinking of you know, being wrong than to find out that I was wrong." Um, you know, they, they, it, it's kind of dark. It's it, where there's this very strong desire to not be wrong, not ever have to admit you're wrong, and and then to basically use the old world shaming and shunning to try and uh, force everyone to jump in on the same decision. If you if you can force people onto your side of belief and and, 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 and you know share that lie, then you are you know, you've got the same blood in your hands than everybody else. Changing the subject slightly. I want to talk a little bit about the whole Los Angeles situation. Um, I was just in Los Angeles recently. I went there twice over the past uh, month or two months. I know a lot of people who work in entertainment in over there, whether that's in film or it's in music or arts or anything else. And it strikes me that this place, which is known for being liberal, for lack of a better term, seems to be one of the least liberal places in the entire world when it comes to the proper definition of liberalism and the willingness for people to engage and have conversations and respect people who are different from them and to actually embody diversity, tolerance, and true liberalism. Um, What on earth is going on? in Los Angeles that is causing this and has done for such a long period of time, it seems. You know, Los Angeles is a funny place. Uh, I lived there for 22 years. I've been a filmmaker and storyteller there for a long time. And, you know, and it claims it claims to be liberal in a lot of ways. It's, it's a liberal bastion. And and yet there was a very strong there was always a group think there where there was there was a very strong sort of almost a caste system where you had to know you know, there's like even even with the film world, there's sort of above the line, below the line, above the line where the creatives and that's where you have like the producers, the writers, the actors and uh, um, and the directors and then below the line, which was all the crew. And and, and so there was which I always felt kind of established a, a distinct line of, of those who were kind of a, a, a cut above and, and, and those who were kind of a, the equivalent of the working class, if you, if you will. 
And and it was interesting because you really, really, really always had to cater to the egos of the, these enormous egos of Hollywood. I mean, in short, all the cliches are true about Hollywood and Los Angeles. And uh, and you really had you learned that you had to make sure you didn't speak openly. You didn't debate. Uh, no one wanted to ever feel uncomfortable. No one liked surprises and just normal everyday conversations that you would have in any other part of the country. You would have to basically kind of check it at the door. And this is something all of my, I had a lot of filmmaking friends and we were free thinkers of various stripes and we liked debate. We liked talking about stuff. I like playing the devil's advocate. And that was just not really, that was frowned upon. And you would notice, and I, I talk about this often that you would notice that back in the day, like the the phone would stop ringing. If you, the more you spoke about something, you were kind of consciously way aware of how your reputation was being affected by your own personal beliefs. If you were being free and open with them versus just keeping your head down keeping your mouth shut and, and getting to work. Um, and then I would leave and then I would travel elsewhere and I'd go back east and I'd go to the Midwest and I'd, I'd travel to other cities and I'm like, oh, yes, here's that open society that I that I enjoyed and went to college in Colorado and used to be part of it. And I was just sort of used to that for the last couple of decades. And people and I'd tell them like, yeah, L.A., you don't really get to talk that way, even though they claim this openness. And and plus, L.A. has this sort of ego because they really do believe they're the center of the universe because everything was filmed there for so long and all the, you know, all the world's most beautiful people would go there and, and there was a sort of and, and you would film in the neighborhoods and, and there really was this sort of myopic sort of collectivist ego that kicked in. So they really thought that they had the right to sort of dictate the culture. They understood that that politics was downstream of culture and they had all this money, but no real power. And then, you know, in the early 2000s, you saw this sort of more and more of the DC folks would come show up and and there was that symbiotic relationship. They have power, but no real money. And they would kind of start working together and you could see the politics really starting to show up in the uh inside the um you know the more propaganda style writing which really kicked in in the later 2000s and early 2000 teens and um but you know i i even really enjoyed that aspect of you know there's the whole burning man community and and, and the sort of modern day hippie community and, and and the liberal community and they were all talking about unconditional love and non-binary early and i was like all right well that's that's an interesting concept maybe we can find some middle ground and try and find some some way to the center that we all can agree to and it, and yet there was this unsaid like oh but not for politics politics mm. we're going to go we're going to start we're going to we want to we want a control message we want a control message and we want to we want to be the kingmakers and they happen to want to be sort of i think leaning towards a parasitic left that was pulling the the traditional liberal you know the the, the sort of freedom of speech you know those who question authoritarianism the, the sort of parasitic left kept pulling them full, further and further and everyone was just kind of terrified to say anything and and then the watching cancel culture evolve to me that was just the pervasiveness of uh you know, that was the exportation of the california southern california la groupthink and to everyone i'm like oh now everyone sees it okay this is what i dealt with for the last two decades and now it's just normal in the last couple of years so that's kind of my take on on the los angeles experience i suppose yeah, why they it, why they claim liberalism and yet really aren't yeah it's really interesting i mean even when it comes to the policies of you know what your documentary is about these are places the so-called most liberal not just states in the usa but the most so-called liberal countries australia new zealand canada blue states and cities in the usa while western european countries all of these places were the with some exceptions were 
really the places with with the most draconian, most illiberal, most authoritarian responses, complete trampling of individual rights and civil liberties. You've got people now. I've, I never thought in my life I would see people who call themselves liberals outright advocating segregation, mistreatment of people based on their medical status and just genuine true discrimination, right? Denial of service, denial of certain freedom of movement and ability to do things which we were all doing as recently as January 2020 with no problem and having the audacity. I mean, I don't call myself a liberal, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, how am I like conservatives have become more liberal than liberals. And how has that how has that happened? It's so it's so bizarre to me. It's so strange. It's this inversion that uh, sometime over the course of my lifetime just seems to have happened and metastasized. And people are there kind of talking out both sides of their mouth, labeling themselves one thing. But then, you know, you you look up the definition or you think about what the word means. I mean, the word liberal stems from liberty, right? Liberty, sure. freedom. You know, you do you, I'll do me, live and let live, treat everybody fairly, treat everybody equally. doesn't matter your race, your gender, your this, your that. And I don't know, like I, I, every day it just, uh, it, seems it, it seems it gets goes further each day as well. And that has really been confusing for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm right there with you. It's been been bizarre to follow. There's been such a flip at the script. Um, this idea of and uh, oh, and there we've uh, Nick 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 Hudson has just joined us. <laughs> Hi there, guys. I'm sorry. I, I'm late. The the link went into my junk mail, and I only, I only found it now. All good. Welcome. Thank I was just uh, asking Hawk. I was just speaking about how. Um, the so-called liberal places in the world, the, the cities, states, and countries which claim to be liberal have become the most illiberal and tyrannical places on planet Earth and seeing what his thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the interest. I mean, I've always been an advocate of free expression. I mean, I, I, I believe absolutely that that expression, the, the, the ability for the human to express, to think of something, there's some ethereal plane, you can connect to it, an idea forms. And then you wish to to get it out and you express it and 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 you can you can say it to a lot of people and you can change the world. It's a it's a truly miraculous, amazing thing that we're able to do. And that's part of the reason why I believe it's part of the First Amendment and why we had a country based on that. And it, but it's also the backbone of, of the artistic expression and everything that you know, people who typically would be considered liberal and and their desire to express, um, it's 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 bedrock. And for some reason, the way I, I, I do believe there's something, you know, on top of the strength of media, this, the, uh, what we were talking about earlier about the strength of film and television to program people. The Internet, I think, is really I think we're just learning how pervasive it has been that we've had about 10, 15 years of hardcore sort of navigating with our minds into this digital space. And somehow that has eroded the, the, the critical thinking and caused people to lose that sense of the, the wonder of what freedom of expression really means somehow. And, um, and I, it's, it's, it's shocking. And it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, there used to be that people was like, well, I don't agree with what you have to say, but I defend, I'll defend with my life to, to for your right to do so. That was the very, that was seemed to be the, the prevailing way people thought for a long, long time. And then that kind of went away about 10 years ago, people stopped saying that. Um, I do think it's just this sheer repetition, this, this advertising, this, this, this branding that people, 
if they don't follow, if they don't carry the water, if they don't um, um, issue the company line, if they don't um, um, do what they're told by their uh, particular political uh, leadership, the sort of new activist kind of um, um, heavy-handed marketing messaging system, then somehow they're not doing their part. And I and that's there's there's there is the disconnect. That's somehow there's a, a there, the critical thinking part of their brain is broken, and it's very alarming. Yeah, I, I was just saying another thing that really bizarre. I mean, quite hilarious, but also disturbing for me to see has been this uh, this strange unholy alliance that's been happening. Uh, with big pharma and a lot of people, particularly on the left side of the political spectrum, who previously were very skeptical of big pharma and these huge global multinational multi-billion dollar corporations. And now they're putting, like I said, team, team Pfizer and team Moderna and all of that in their social media bios and honestly, like being uh, unpaid laborers and shills and promoters of these companies and their products. And again, that's not something I ever thought I would see. Yeah, occupy Wall Street one day and, uh, and uh, loathe, uh, I love Wall Wall Street the next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any any thoughts on that one, Nick? Yeah, I I found it beyond strange in particular because we're dealing with uh, some of the most corrupt companies on the planet you know companies that have had these massive fines and for cheating on studies and trials in much the way that they appear to have done in this case and the signs of it are all over the place so it is truly bizarre but again um you know it's it's the derangement that comes with a year and a half of constant fear messaging I, I don't particularly blame people for landing up in these uh, um, positions that defy any critical analysis. It's it's just a testament to the success of the psyops propaganda that's been conducted against populations all around the world. Absolutely, and um, for everyone listening, uh, Nick Hudson has recently joined the show. That was him who was just speaking right there. Um, I've got a separate episode from a couple months ago where I spoke to Nick directly. But for Nick, for those who aren't familiar, please introduce yourself. Tell them who you are. Uh, sure, Zubi. I'm, I'm Nick Hudson. I am chairman of an organization called Panda, which is a portmanteau for uh, pandemics, data and analytics. Um, we were set up as a South African operation in the first quarter of last year, um, and expanded into the international uh, field around about October, I think it was, that we started that push. Um, We now have a a large international organization membership in multiple countries, I think more than 30 at the last count, and our aim is to replace bad science with good science. So our our membership consists of scientists from a a huge variety of disciplines, some very closely related to epidemiology and immunology and so on, and others from fields slightly further afield, such as uh, data science or ecology. Um, yeah, and we just aim to shine the light of truth on the bogus narrative that is the COVID hysteria. How do we find the truth? Truth seems to be something that um, I, in my whole life, it was always something that was objective. But um, 
in these days and for the past couple of years, it seems like there is my truth and your truth and his truth and her truth. And people are operating in absolutely different realities. And when mm-hmm. you travel, this is really something that's become highlighted mm-hmm. by the pandemic, I think. I, I think it already existed. It was already there. But it's very, very bizarre traveling from city to city and country to country, as I've been doing over this period of time. People are truly living in alternate realities. If you go to Los Angeles or you go to Maui or you go to Maryland or Washington, D.C. or New York City, they apparently are not dealing with the same threat nor the same virus as the people in Nashville or Miami or Dallas or Austin. It's very strange to witness. I know that people hear about it and read things, but when you are there in person, um, it, it's it's very, very mind-blowing. It's very, very weird. Um, I, I was just, uh, I, I'm currently in Mexico, and I just, went, I just went to the gym this morning, and there was, I was in this, uh, you know, dirty old-school bodybuilding gym. It was humid. It was sweaty. No social distancing, no masks, no, <laughs> no hand sanitizer, no, no, no anything. You mean an um, old world appreciation of the good old immune system? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, five <laughs> days ago, in uh, five days ago, I was you know getting kicked out of places for uh, not not wearing a mask, and it's uh, it, it's very odd. I don't know how to. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't well, even know how to express it. Well, it's interesting because it used to be. I mean, I've traveled. I've done about forty five countries and traveled around the world twice, and uh, when I. Uh, in my twenties and thirties. And, and it used to be when you were in international travel, you got accustomed to the fact that you were effectively reality jumping. You, you'd go, you'd, you'd leave an area and, and the influence of, of one culture and country would, would, would almost would ha- not have an effect on where you were visiting. And you had to learn skill sets on how to blend and how to sort of go through the culture shock and, and just understand that they were very, very different. You know, you, you, these were, this, this was the joy of the travel. You got to have those experiences and realize that there were many, many worlds on this one planet. And again, with the internet, something like that dissolved all of those artificial boundaries of, of physical boundaries, or at least gave the perception of it, because suddenly everyone's on Google Earth and YouTube, and they could kind of see each other's cultures and comment on it and give sort of subjective, like, well, that's different, and that's wrong, and that's not how I live. And it kind of created this mass world insecurity somehow. Um, just e- even before the pandemic, people were just not sure, like, w- there used to be you would understand your world, your particular economy, your particular culture, your particular community, and you felt comfortable there. Suddenly, everyone's uncomfortable. There's all these digital platforms you had to master, and, and, and everyone was kind of set to see. Then the pandemic came along, and the first truly global experience, I mean, everywhere you've ever been and everyone you've ever known also had to deal with the lockdowns and this virus. You know, two different things, but uh, but they kind of went hand in hand. And I think it's uh, I think it's telling that you I mean, the more you travel, the more you see some people are like, yeah, this is not anything to worry about. And then you go to places where it's I mean, you, it's an authoritarian regime. I mean, Victoria South um, in Australia. I mean, that place is just absolutely a worst case scenario that's going to be worthy of study for many years to come once it opens back up, because it will. I, I have faith. And um but it's 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 shocking. It's shocking to see that d- dissolving of of just general everyday cultural appreciation and compassion for your fellow man and you know men and women. It uh, I, I feel as if the um, you know perhaps the uh, the heavily objective world, the scientific you know, that he- heavy influence on objective came at the expense of the subjective people who didn't feel their emotions were being 
considered or their religious beliefs were being considered. And somehow that's been exploited by those who wish to create a more author authoritarian world for which they can control from. There's something, again, there's something there. We're all, we all can kind of feel yeah. it. We're all instinctual generalists who can feel something's wrong there. But uh, pinpointing it is difficult. Yeah. But, but, but your, your, your question right at the beginning there was the right one. How do we find the truth? And I think it's a, a feature, not a bug, that methods for finding the truth have been destroyed because there really is only one way, and that's through a process of conjecture and criticism. And when you take an authoritarian approach to science or to anything for that matter, what you do is you shut down the process, the natural process of criticism. You destroy the means of error correction and false crazy, ludicrous narratives prevail for far longer than they would in the face of a normal process of truth-finding. Um, and that's what censorship does. That's what follow the science does. Absolutely. Follow the science. That's a phrase that we have been uh, hearing ad nauseum for a very long period of time. Why did you guys decide to call the documentary Follow the Science? Well, initially, and, and maybe we should add, I mean, Nick's going to be an integral part of it. He's one of our, our chief voices and hosts, and we've been talking to him every week for six months, and it's been a wonderful education and, and collaboration so far. And, you know, when we first started out, I mean, it was early on when the vaccines were showing a lot of promise, and people thought, okay, there's 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 going to be this, this sort of contract of everyone, you know, there's vaccines are going to start making it so we can um, change things. And, and we, uh, we we can go back to normal. And and yet to say anything, we were aware that uh, um, that there, we were kind of I and my colleagues were like the compliance factor is, is just through the roof, this branding of follow the science and anyone who started to question it. I mean, we, if you question, I mean, there was this sort of if you recall, it was almost like a, a sci fi show where every week there was like the latest thing you had to worry about. I mean, first it was flatten the curve. And then, you know, then it was respirators and then it was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, overflowing the, the, the hospitals and and then toilet paper and all those things that you can remember happening. But there was never a chance to stop and go back and look like, well, what happened to those and why did we stop talking about those? And, you know, everything was sort of keep the frontal lobe occupied, keep moving forward with this follow the science sort of narrative. And so we, we just thought we'd, we we wanted to go after that. We saw we saw it as a, a, a demand for compliance to an authoritarian regime. And so we thought we'd want to unpack that. And then, of course, the story has just kept evolving and evolving, evolving. So we uh, uh, so we're we're there are those who have bought into the line of follow the science and those who hear it strictly as sort of a dog whistle and that we feel it's a flashpoint. So that's what's our working title, as it were. And uh, what stage is this documentary at right now? Well, we're actually just finishing up fundraising. Um, we've been fundraising uh, for a, a bit and uh, have, uh, we're uh, our phase one for the, 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 the pilot. It's a five episode uh, series and we've, we're just uh, finishing that up. We actually finish up November 1st. And uh, if I can put a plug, we're at followthesciencefilm.com. And that's where uh, and we're actually have matching funds right now. We've been doing very well. We're very humbled. We've already raised about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And but we've what we've what we've done is we've decided to sort of do our research transparently. We've actually been turning out content as we've interviewed people. We've done about 30 interviews 
and we're churning out those interviews, little pieces of them. Uh, we, we were doing pre-interviews, just like with the magic of uh, you know, these platforms. We decided to just interview people to get understand what they were, what they were thinking, uh, prepare for the documentary. We just recorded those and have been posting those. So we're 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 actually currently releasing material. We've put it up put out about 25 videos. We have another 20 to go. And um, so we're, we're actively, we, we're sort of showing the sausage as we, as, as we make it, we're, we're showing who we're talking to, what we're talking about. And, um, and then starting in November, we're going to be flying all over and, and doing proper sit downs with a lot more, a lot more folks. Uh, we just did a nice interview with Nick and we hope to get down to South Africa to do some more shooting with him down there. And uh, we have some other talent that we're negotiating to be part of it. So we're, we're, we're packaging it pre-production, raising funds, just kind of all in. We're, it's an all-encompassing project right now, and we're, we're happy to be underway. That's awesome. That sounds, uh, that sounds very exciting. I look forward to checking that out when it is out. When, when are you hoping to have it out, actually? Uh, well, probably uh, end of the first quarter, somewhere in there, we're going to have our, our initial pilot um, that we're coming out with. Uh, we're going to do at least, like, at least a 30-minute version of it to get it out quickly um, and get it into the mix. And then we'll be sp- probably spending the next year on the other five episodes. Amazing. Do you think that the scientific world, or the scientific community, let's say, or the medical and healthcare world, let alone the government and the media are... I fear that the answer is yes, because um, I'm not sure it should be. But do you think they're going to recover? <laughs> do you think they're going to recover from this? Because I often say that the biggest victim of this pandemic has been the concept of science itself. I've never seen it's rare for me to see a, a term or a concept just bastardized in the way that it has been all sorts of absolute nonsense going on in country to country, city to city under the guise of this, uh, you know, the science, this this sort of magical thing that you just say and met and suddenly you can justify absolutely anything. I mean, one key thing about science, which I always learn, people like to remind me, hey, you're, you're not a scientist, which is funny because I actually do have a science degree. But um, people, <laughs> but people, uh, I mean, if, I've said many times, if you can't question it, if you can't challenge it, if you cannot discuss it openly, then you're not in the realm of science, you're in the realm of dogma. Right. I've many times, uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian myself, but I've many times, com- many times compared it to a religion. But it's more like a cult, because even in a religion, you can ask questions. Right. If there's something I don't understand in, in, in the Bible or teaching, I, I, I can I can go to someone and I can ask questions and no one's going to try to shut me down or call me uh, a heathen or anti-religion or excommunicate me because I asked a question or I challenged something or something didn't make sense to me. But this is literally what has been going on for the past 20 months. They don't want you to talk. They don't want you to ask questions. As we're recording this, I'm here like thinking, oh, I probably can't put this up on YouTube Hmm. because YouTube might give my channel a strike because we are openly having a conversation. We're not spreading misinformation. We're not lying. We're simply trying to understand what's going on and speak openly. And it blows my mind again that, ah, man, like in the UK, in the USA, in Canada, in Europe, you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to ask questions. I'm like, is this, is this China? Is this North Korea? What is, what's going on? And how were so many people either not seeing it or seeing it and accepting it? 
that's the part that really, really concerns me. That's that's the most disturbing part of this whole thing for me. And I think number one is the number one is the the demonization and the way that people are being turned against each other through through propaganda, and then the complete squashing of the things that made these societies great. If you think just simply back to 2019, if someone said, what is it that makes the Western world, what is it that makes the Western world great? Countries like the UK, Canada, Australia. I think almost everybody would say freedom. You can express yourself. You can be who you are. You can ask questions. You can challenge things. You have freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. You can believe what you want. You can say what you want, all of that. And all of this has just been decimated. It's been it's been annihilated in such a short period of time and people are cheering for it. And that really that really, really concerns me. And it's 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 disheartening as well, to be honest. Well, one one of the things that a conversation I had with Nick the other day was the the, the nature of uh, medical science. I mean, medicine is one part science, one part art. I mean, disease, I mean, disease, disease. I mean, it's, 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 you know, symptoms are usually a subjective experience. People are like, I'm experiencing pain where, oh, it's about here. I mean, it's just, just the fundamental where you start with medicine is, is kind of, there's a subjective understanding to it. And then you try to objectively make sense of it all and, and, and push into the science. But there, there is this sort of, there's this world where the medicine, where science and art come together in terms of trying to understand the internal human experience. And when you look at what's happened to science and, you know, where it's like, this is how it is, you know, the like the, the sort of scientific institution are making decrees that this is how it is. And that to question that is not is not permitted. And when and to Nick's point, where science is is a process of conjecture and criticism, as well as it's a process of of an internal human and artist trying to subjectively explain what's what, what, where it hurts, and yeah. and all of that has been shoved aside to this sort of giant sort of mass psychosis or mass, you know, there's all these different ways of describing it, but this sort of strange sort of people taking leave of their senses and their rational self and their ability to, 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 be curious. I, I consider myself a curious storyteller that really appreciates the scientific method and, and, and the ability to ask questions. And I mean, I, 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 a little side note is there's a, there's a great film called the lives of others, which is about uh, mm. a group in East Germany. Um, there's a, a Stasi inf- a person listening in to two artists and there's, there's a quick little moment in it in which the, the, the there's a Stasi colonel, you know, lecturing the students, teaching them how to be uh, part of the surveillance state. And one of the, they, they talk about how they, they, they went through all the artists and defined them. And I think it was like, oh yeah, the type four artists. Like if you, if you arrest them for speaking up against the state, you know, cause, cause it's, the, they express that doubt, that's a threat to the state. And, and if you look at most communist propaganda, it's all about designing to capture people the moment they express some sort of doubt. Um, you know, like, Hey, if your mom says mom and dad says anything wrong, make sure you report them to the state. And he, they were saying like, but you don't want to give them a platform of, of putting them through the court system. If you put them through the court system, that gives them a platform they can speak about it. But if you if you designate them a, um, you, you know, you say they're mentally off and they, they, they weaponized, um, um, you know, saying that there's it's a late onset paranoia of some sort. And you put them away for 80 days in solitary confinement in a hospital and then let them out again. They, they make the point in the film that artist will never express themselves against the state again. And I just give that little setup because then you look at Ai Weiwei, one of the most dissident artists in China, who spoke up 
openly, freely question the government. This is you know, not even the scientific world. Just question the, the 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 way the government was doing business. And lo and behold, they put up they put him in solitary with two guards staring at him for eighty days. I mean, this the, the playbook does not change with authoritarian regimes. And Ai Weiwei is still around, but he's not nearly as potent as he had as he once been. I mean, power to Ai Weiwei, but uh, you know, the, the the system doesn't change. And now here we have this scientific veneer on everything, like oh, it's science and everything's going forward like this. Mm. But really, it's this authentic authoritarian thumb coming down saying but you can't ask questions you can't express yourself the objectives and subjective are no longer no longer matter to us we we want to control that we will control message and we will control culture and and everyone has to fall and fall in line and comply all under the terms of follow the science i mean it's it's outrageous it's it's completely yeah. bald and obvious and i think it's you know we're, we're hopefully we're all part of a grand awakening of individuals seeing seeing that this needs to be pushed back against and 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 i think truth comes out of that kind of knowledge and that wisdom the emotional knowledge systems coming together a wisdom comes forward and i think people know truth when they hear it and i think that's what we have to hope for what, what's <laughs> made it so utterly galling for me has been that in the name of saving lives such inhumane things have been done mm -hmm. that for me has just been the ultimate shock you know authoritarian jackboot tyrannical behavior is one thing but the sheer cynicism of launching such a program under the flag of we're doing it to save you you know yeah um and i i guess it, it needs to be observed that that's not entirely new in the world. It's not an entirely novel approach. A dictator is always telling the oppressed that he's doing it for, for their own good. But in, in this case, the, the, in the domain of public health, we are. And the claim is just trotted out repeatedly. This, is, this saves lives. This is for saving grandma. This, this is for saving children who aren't even at risk, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and that makes it just all the more frightening in a way. Yeah. Did you see that video uh, in Italy of that old woman being denied access to the hospital because she didn't have her yeah. she didn't have her her papers with her? I mean, yeah. I don't know how anyone can see that or see videos of police in France or Australia literally beating people or <clears throat> shooting them with rubber bullets and. I mean, since when does that do you do that for somebody's health? We care so much about your health that we're going to deny you access to a hospital. We're going to shoot you with rubber bullets. We're going to curb stomp you, body slam you, punch you in the face, mace you in the face, all for your own safety. Also, if you were if you're actually afraid of a virus, why are you getting so close to someone and getting all up in their face so that you can even even do that? I mean, it's so bizarre to me from that to the nonsense that I've experienced in some of the some of the blue cities, cities in the USA, um, in, in gyms or in shops or on the planes. I mean, I thought the UK was bad. The UK is is far better in terms of people minding their business with the mask stuff than uh, some of these cities in the US, US are. Actually, I was I was a. Uh, I've I've had some. I'm not going to go into all the experiences I've had here, but as a, as someone who's a known non-complier, um, I've had some. Uh, the experiences I've had have been uh, have been interesting, and in so many of these cases, it's not even situations where the person would even be able to pretend that it was about a virus. I mean, to give one example, I was in Los Angeles in a gym. I was the only person in the gym, besides one staff member. Pretty big gym as well. I'm at the opposite end of the gym doing pull-ups. Mm. 
and I'm approached and get into a battle over them trying to force me to wear a mask. There is no one, nobody within at least 30 meters of me. Well, there wasn't until the guy approached me and started. You know, eventually I broke him down, right? I, I, I got him to admit it makes absolutely no sense. And I got him to leave me alone. It took about 10, 12 minutes. I just kept asking why, you know, why? Why do you want me to do that? What's the purpose of the rule? How does it make sense? And eventually, you know, I, I got him to accept because this is just pure authoritarianism. This is mm-hmm. people. There's never been a better time in the world for people who get off on telling other people what to do. And I think it's really brought out a very nasty side in mm-hmm. a lot of people. I've heard some really heartbreaking stories. I mean, I'm blessed to have a great family and friends who haven't been, uh, even though we may have some different opinions on various aspects of it, we respect each other and love each other enough to not want to shun each other and uh, you know jettison our entire relationships over any of this. But there are some horror stories. There are couples who have gotten gotten divorces. There are people who have had grandchildren or nieces and nephews born, and they're not allowed to see them because they haven't taken the shot. There's people who have been uninvited from their families, wedding celebrations, Thanksgiving celebrations, Christmas, all of this. And nobody used to behave like this. Mm-hmm. I'm always intrigued when people are behaving in a way that they never used to. My entire life, vaccines are not new. Disease is not new. Masks are not new. Hospitalization is not new. Death is not new. Illness, nothing, none of this is new. The only thing that's new is the response and the behavior. And that's when I know that something funny is mm-hmm. going on because it, it's not like, okay, there was this precedent and people used to do this. People used to you know, ask people about their fl- flu vaccination status all the time and, you know, uh, bl- block or shun people based off of it. It's like, no, nobody, nobody did that. Nobody used to ask me my vaccination status for anything. Now I'll meet somebody new and, <laughs> you know, within a couple minutes of conversation, they're there asking me, oh, so are you, are you vaccinated? I'm like, this is not an appropriate question. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not anyone's business. And why do you care? That this is the other thing that there's no logic, right? Why are people, why are there people who have taken the shot, millions of people who have taken the shot, who are afraid yeah. of hanging around people who haven't? It literally makes no sense. That's the most anti-vax position. <laughs> That's the most anti-vax position out there because you're, you're telling everyone you don't even think that it works. It, make, it makes no sense on any level. And the amount of nonsense that people have just accepted whole thing going into a restaurant, right? The other day, again, in Los Angeles, sorry on my Los Angeles people, but I had some weird experiences out there. Um, you know, there's this Los restaurant Angeles deserves it. The, 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 table, the table was about five steps away. They wanted us to mask up to walk from the entrance to the table, five steps. And mm-hmm. then, of course, sitting down, you can take the mask off again. And they were so insistent on this. We, they, were, they were so insistent. They brought the manager out, da-da-da, and she was saying, I know it doesn't make sense, but I have the right to refuse service to whoever I want, da-da-da. If you're, you're going to refuse to wear the mask, you're not allowed to. It's like, okay, I'll go eat somewhere else, right? I'm not going to play your game. I know most people would just comply at that stage, but I'm like, you know what? There's other places to eat. If you're going to be this ludicrous, this ridiculous, of course, of course the restaurant is full and everyone's there with no masks eating food. But to take the magic five steps, I'm supposed to wear the mask. And and this is happening all across Mm. the world. I mean, 
the notion you can even get people to play along with something that absurd, just, just that one thing even, that, that scares me. That, that really yeah. concerns me because nobody can even pretend, even people who believe that, um, even people who are, b- believe that masks work, right? You cannot justify that one, right? Or you can't justify people wear, wearing them outside by themselves. I mean, it doesn't but, even make any sense. This is to an extent the, a typical feature of propagandized situations um, to, to be uh, signed up to the, the, dicta- the dictator's um, creed. You, you need to adhere to some preposterous belief. Um, that's kind of the membership ticket. So, <laughs> you know, yes, believing all of a sudden that a little flap of cloth uh, stops a deadly virus is, yeah, that's the kind of crazy thing that is usually the ticket to the game, membership of the party. And um, I think the mask in many ways is symbolic of that. And, mm. and even more so because there was that sudden midstream 180, you know, one week there was Anthony Fauci telling everybody that masks didn't work. And, and then a, f- a few days later, during which time, a major study came out showing that masks didn't work for influenza. And it was a study by the US CDC. And then the next minute they're saying, guess what? Follow the science. Masks work, all you Muppets out there. And if you want to sign up to the COVID, COVIDia, the land of COVIDia, if you want to be a fully fledged citizen of the land of COVIDia, you will wear a cloth mask and wear it happily and welch on your friends who don't and call them names. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not a member of the party. Yeah, yeah it's it's the theater of the absurd meets like a, a B dystopian sci-fi, and yet it's yeah. and yet it's really going on. It's just it's it's I mean compliance with the party. I mean, I, I because of my experience doing all this work on, on the Witness Project and working with all these dissidents, I mean, they used to talk about the posters were like, until you're a member of the party, your life doesn't matter. I mean, that was a normal propaganda poster. And I always thought, well, that's right. an extreme thing. And and yet we mm. see, you know, this, this weaponization of fear and terror. I mean, everything you're talking about, Zuby, in terms of having these people they just like that restaurant. I mean, they're they're terrified of losing their ability to earn a living and provide for themselves, and you know, and 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 the, the fear they they fear the bureaucracy, not the violence uh, or the but, virus. But uh, seems like so. So I don't think so because why are they mm. turning away customers? I was going to spend money there. They would rather enforce their stupidity. Well, but I guess that, I guess that's a take good question. My money. I mean, because it seems as if, because they're concerned. I mean, would you say that they're con- they're concerned that they're going to be you know, the 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 bureaucrats will come and and, and, no. and violate no, them? No, no, feel- no, 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 no. The way it was, they just wanted to flex the power. That's all it was. Ah, so like it, the it, uh, it, so the surveillance. So they've become they're, they're kind of following the Stasi route. They're becoming yes. part of the surveillance culture. Yes, they, they, they're that fear has metastasized into their their being, and they're they're they're, they're becoming uh, t- petty tyrants themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it's, that it, is I've, part I've, of the program. Yeah, I've experienced the same on airplanes, and I've noticed it's not with the majority of air stewardesses, or sorry, majority of uh, air hosts, but. You, you get the occasional one. You get the occasional one who's just having, yeah. they love, they love, they're just enjoying going around that plane. You p- put a mask on, put, put, pull it over your nose, do this, do this, do that. And again, you can tell that they're not, they don't care about a virus. They're not concerned about a virus. They've yes. just been given this power. They have it for four hours while you're up in the air. They suddenly have this power to tell grown people 
people who wouldn't listen to them in any other circumstance, tell them what to do or, um, you know, threaten to kick them off the plane or ban them from flying or whatever. And that's what I mean when I say it's brought, it's brought out this really nasty and vindictive streak in some people. Mm-hmm. You see it as well with people who are, um, you know, wishing harm or celebrating harm on the unvaccinated, right? The people mm-hmm. who are saying, oh, they should, you know, if you're, there are people who will outright wish death on people. Or if somebody does die, um, you know, well, if they're vaccinated and they die, then that's sad, but they probably had comorbidities. But if they're unvaccinated and they die, then it's, ha-ha, you stupid anti-vaxxer, we told you to get vaccinated. And look, anytime you're on the side of wishing death upon someone or celebrating uh, harm or death on a peaceful person, you're you're not the—no matter what you may believe, you're you're not the good guy in the situation here. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that— my take on that sort of thing is these people you talk about, we talked about truth earlier and how do you get at truth? I mean, I think they have a fundamental part of their being that knows there's something wrong. They know that something inauthentic going on and they, they, they have this sense of lot. They've had this loss of control. The modern world, the digital world, the internet world has made everyone insecure about who they are and what they're doing. Then along comes this massive pandemic lockdown and, and they're being told what to do. And I, tend to believe somewhere in their being, they know they're being misled, but they're not strong enough to speak up for it. They're complying. And so it creates this sort of uh, cognitive dissonance where their fury technically is at themselves, but they're projecting it on everybody else. Like and everyone else who mirrors to them that they're, that they're false, that there's something wrong with their thinking. They're failing to step up to listen to their own mm-hmm. voice, their own internal voice that's telling them like, this is not correct. This is, you don't wish ill upon someone as you just described like oh if these unvaccinated should die that's wrong no matter what the situation but they and they know it somewhere fundamentally in their being but they're projecting that anger and that fear onto everybody else and it takes that form of that petty tyranny that i think you so uh wonderfully described just now these i think they're just running scared and then once they and then i think the authoritarian regimes know that these people have are they're buying into it they're trying on for size and then they be kind of they become de facto foot soldiers in this authoritarian um system and we, we've got to figure out how to reach them. I mean, I think the job for the individuals and the free thinkers and the generalists is the compassion is to find the language that, that gets to them. Like the guy in the in the in the gym, you spoke to him, you asked questions, you made mm. forced him to think about it, and he backed off. Mm. And I think we have to we have to challenge people, and we have to you know in, in, engage in a type of civil disobedience or at least a social disobedience, and, and, and talk to these people about like what are you doing? Like look at yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's something there. Yeah, I agree. Any thoughts on that one, Nick? Yeah, I, I think there's also the problem of rationalizing. You know, once you've you, you've initially maybe they were scared and so they listened very quickly when somebody said jump. Um, and then they went a little further and then maybe they started to suspect that there was something wrong. But then you realize you've been fooled. Um, and as they say, it's easier to fool somebody than to convince somebody that they've been fooled. And that's at, at some deep level an embarrassing situation to be in. You know, if you believe any any one of the the narrative lives, you kind of have to believe in all of them. And I think that also this is also what makes things so polarizing. You don't really find somebody who who thinks that. Um, coronavirus is a deadly disease to all people and that we're all at immediate mortal peril uh, and find that they kind of don't believe in masks. You know, it's 
the, the whole cluster of ideas comes at you. You either bought the whole narrative or none of it. And so I think for people who kind of went with the narrative, believed that governments were doing things in their best interests and that the, the, the high lords of the pharmaceutical industry had nothing but their best interests at heart, that Anthony Fauci is a wonderful, honest man who's, you know, never accepted money from industry in his life. Um, and yes, that a cloth masks work and that there's this magic drug that's been developed overnight that uh, takes you from, from zero to hero. Um, if you believed all of those things at some stage, it's very difficult to turn around and say, you know what I'm calling this. I'm calling BS on this whole campaign and we've been had, we've been badly, badly had. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the challenge. Uh, I've seen people do it though. I've seen people who've quite late in the day um, said, wait a second, this is where I draw the line. And then it's like watching scales fall off their eyes. You know, one thing set them off and then they, they come to their senses and it's like uh, they become the the new crusaders against the the malarkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's like a tip of the dominoes. With that said, though, I, th I think there's some people who are I think there's some people who are just not coming back. I've mm. accepted that. I think some people are just not reachable. Um, I, I think that I yeah. think most people are. I think most people are, but I think there's a percentage where they're just. And it makes me sad to say this. But I think I think they're just gone. I think five years from now, they're still going to be wearing masks. They're still going to be getting triggered by seeing people's smiling faces. They're mm. still going to be, you know, they'll be on their 16th booster jab by then. And <laughs> I don't think they're I think there's some people who are just not just not coming back. Um, I do think that eventually one thing that gives me hope, although it's also concerning, is that I, I believe the powers that be are playing their hand way too hard now. I think they're playing their hand way too hard. I mean, it started, I mean, if we just go back to the beginning of this year, the vaccinations, it was still very much like, okay, we need to get the vaccines out to the elderly and the vulnerable. It's totally, totally voluntary. There's no, there's no mandates. There's no weird incentives. There's no coercion. There's no bullying. All of that. Cool. We need to get this out to, if you're over 60, and you want it and you need it, we recommend you give it to, you know, you get it. And honestly, that's where it should have ended. But then it was like, okay, we're going to go all the way down the age line. Then it started to get to the, okay, well, we're going to give you donuts and pizza and the chance to win a million dollars and ice cream and all of these bizarre incentives. And then yeah. the songs and dances started coming out, all of the vaccine tick on TikTok. And it got very, very strange. And then when that petered out, it just got to the, to, okay, straight up coercion, right? Force. <laughs> we're, going, we're going to fire you. We're going to ban you from society. We're going to segregate you. And that's the last move. Unless you're going to actually send people door to door with guns and needles trying to get the shot to everybody, you know, get the shot or get the shot. Unless you're going to go that extreme, then they're kind of on the last move. I mean, you can't really go anywhere yeah. from that point. And they're also blowing up their own narrative. I mean, how many thousands of healthcare workers have they fired? Or are they in the process of firing all while claiming that the hospitals are being overwhelmed? I mean, you'd think that would wake everybody up. You'd think some that people would wake are still asleep. Up. Nope. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, it, 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 they're offering you 
ice cream, right? They're offering you ice cream. <laughs> At this point, you should be smelling a rat. Right? <laughs> it's just, you have to be. You have to be smelling the rat. But people don't. And I mean, I hope you're wrong about what you said, uh, you know, that, that in, in, in five years' time, they will be on Jab 64 and wearing a mask and cowering in the, <laughs> in, in the woodshed sort of thing every time somebody walks past the house. But mm. um, it's kind of very uh, disturbing if that's the case. Of course, we don't know because the world's never been through anything like that. And you could well be right. Um, I, I certainly hope not because I, I've seen frightening transformations, you know, just recently on Twitter, a, a guy who was not a particularly close friend, but when we were in, we were in the same city, we'd have a drink together. Um, suddenly, I saw him out on Twitter calling for the solution, which is that, you know, after a certain date, I think he proposed the 30th of November. After that date, all unvaccinated people should be denied all forms of medical care. That was his solution. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I you know, think the, I saw this tweet. Sorry, I think I saw this tweet. This is a blue check guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a no. He's, he's, he's a, he's oh, a no? former South African resident. Well, actually, a former Swazi resident in um, in America. Okay, I, I saw a tweet like this. I'm wondering if it's the same. Mm. If it's the same individual. It could well, it could yeah, well be. It went on. pretty viral. It was that shocking. Okay. But I mean, this is a guy who I knew personally, and I just reflected upon it. I could not believe. You know, it made me feel stupid that I that I once knew somebody. Who you know who did this, and I regarded him as a pretty you know where was my judgment of character in that in that instance? How did I not spot that this person would go on to become a completely demented psychopath? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are feeling that way, and I think one of the biggest pros and cons of this, depending on which way you look at it, is that every single person in the world has played their hand. Every single person. At the top, at the bottom, your friends, your family, you have now seen everyone's exposed their character. Everyone's exposed their true values, their true principles. You know who will stand by you. You know who will throw you under the bus and who will shun you. You know who will fight against you. You know who the people who, if the government said, okay, we need to round up the dissidents, you know the people who would protect you. You know the people who would turn on you. And I think it's been heartbreaking for a lot of people to realize that there are people who are close to them or who they thought were close to them, who will turn on them in a heartbeat, right? Everyone who's been uninvited from a family or a friend wedding because they're unvaccinated. Yeah. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if uh, there are people who have said, okay, what about if I get a negative test? If you're afraid of COVID, how about I get a negative test? And that, nope, nope, that's not good enough. Which, which again, scientifically, logically makes no sense. We know if someone has got the shot, you can still get it. You can still get sick. You can still transmit it. This has been out for over. This has been out for over six months at minimum. This is just a fact. There's even many high-profile people who are fully vaccinated, who have gotten sick, who have ended up hospitalized, who have even died at this stage. You you can see it. These are prominent people, even let alone all the millions beyond mm. that. But there's still this nonsensical narrative that unva unvaccinated equals infectious and dangerous. And vaccinated equals uh, not infected and safe and protected. That's, that, that's a total nonsense. It's a total vaccinated nonsense. Equals, but... Vaccinated equals holy, to your point earlier about the cultish yeah. aspect. Yeah, but, but it's I want so to read strange. Something. 
Go ahead. Here's a little tweet that just it just I just caught my attention on the top of the screen as it came out. Uh, Eric Eric Weinstein, I'm sure familiar to both of you, just tweeted the following. He said, "When you get around to deleting pro Fauci tweets, which you will, I want you to remember <laughs> at the exact moment you delete that you listened to their lies, warning you about conspiracy nuts and crackpots." I don't want you to feel bad, just that you remember being tricked and by whom. You know. Yeah, well, and and to me, that's that's him mm. setting up the threshold for that counter story, that narrative, yeah. and obviously, like we need to give. I, I I think you're correct. There is a percentage that's irreconcilable. That's always going to be part of the deal. But I believe they are actually a minority. I mean, every authoritarian regime always has relied on a small group of, of propagandists, of, of jackboot thugs, and, and, a, and a power base to kind of control the masses. And I think there's a, a large portion of the population that can be led out if they're told a story that follows the facts, speaks to their subjective emotional state, and gives them that that path that that journey of the dissident uh, they awaken you to the dissident i mean what what uh, uh brett weinstein is describing there is like remember that first moment where you yourself realize like oh wait what they told me versus what i observed did not compute and you're experiencing cognitive dissonance remember that moment because that's the moment when your critical thinking turned back on and i do believe that we can do that for the vast majority of the people who have been hoodwinked by this i do believe that we have an opportunity to tell the right story i mean this i mean these discussions everything we the three of us do every day is is part of that that growing counter narrative and i mm. i think it's possible i'm i am optimistic and hopeful it's going to be a hard fight. We're probably going to have to go through another, you know, a couple more valleys of shadows to get there. But I think it's possible with if we tell the right story and we really do activate the critical thinking nodes that are in every human brain and heart and soul. Mm. I hope. Where do you where do you guys think the world will be a year from now? I, I think we're going to come out of this. And I'll, I'll, t I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm quite recognizable now because I've been banging this drum for a year and a half and I go out to restaurants and people come up to me. Mm. I, when that first started happening, I was always waiting for the person who would come up to me, if not with a knife, then at least an insult. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never happened. Yep. It's never happened once. I go out at shopping center, restaurant, and the strangest of places, you know, somebody will come and cross the road and say to me, I, you know, I, I so, I'm so appreciative for what you're doing. But it's never happened once. And there have been hundreds of times of the exact opposite where come, people come and express appreciation. Yeah. And I think what we all suffer from is we read a very vocal minority who are active on social media. It's kind of a, 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 an elite of sorts. And it's a strident elite, people who feel very strongly. We miss all the people who are maybe, you know, well, I'm doing this because I kind of, I don't want to get my head chopped off by speaking out or whatever. So I'm going along with it. And I, I think we underestimate the scale of that. I can talk against that narrative. I can, I can tell you there's some signs that make me think I'm wrong in that appraisal, or maybe that's just my country. And the signs were that Justin Trudeau, lost a tiny fraction of his votes. The people in Canada <laughs> gave him gave him a pat on the back and said, keep it up, pal. You're doing great. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. 
but I do. Yeah. My, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think I think we will come out of this, and and there's again, there's going to be profound change. We're not going back to the old normal in any way, shape, or form, and that's maybe good. Maybe maybe we improve things and get rid of some of the stuff that was ailing our societies uh, that that led rise to the potential for this situation. Um, mm. But I, I think I think we will we will overcome and we will find a new way that uh, deals quite. I think it'll be quite a strong uh, reconcil not reconciliation. What's the word I'm looking for? A, a strong counter action mm -hmm. against all these entities: mainstream media, the public health institutions, the universities. They're all going to come under intense fire, I think, and and yes. will be reshaped in many ways. I agree. Do you know one thing which people are just most people are just not even thinking about and considering, which is that the efficacy of these shots wears off. So this time next year, unless people take a third dose, at least everyone who is fully vaccinated right now likely will not be by this time next year, unless they take another one. And this already happened in Israel, right? Because they were one of the first countries to get the shots out to a vast majority of the population. And then what happened by summer Boom, you got another spike in Israel. You're no longer fully vaxxed unless you've had three shots. If you've just had two, you've lost your green pass, you're considered unvaxxed again. And people don't seem to be thinking, don't seem to be realizing that that's going to happen in every single country. So all those yeah. dutiful people who stayed home, wore their masks, socially distanced, got their jabs, cool. But another year comes and, okay, hey, guys, it's time for your third one. And there's going to be millions of people who are like, uh, no, I don't want to get on the subscription. I don't want to do this every six months, every 12 months. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I was told. And that'll literally create a growing legion of the so-called unvaxxed. <laughs> and it'll, it'll, I think that'll collapse the whole thing. I think it's going to collapse it. And people are not thinking. I also think all these people who are being very silly um, and pushing away their unvaccinated friends and family members, whatever, they're going to need to eat a lot of crow when they themselves find themselves on the opposite end of that, just like they were this time last year. People seem to have forgotten that this time last year, everybody was a filthy, dirty, unvaccinated person, right? And they didn't become holy until they got baptized with the vaccine, um, you know, less than a year ago. So all of that is going to change. It's all going to invert a lot of the... Uh, policies then mandates that they're trying to put in place off the basis of this they're going to explode they're going to implode and i um people don't seem to be thinking that they seem to think it's a one and done and you'll have that status forever and so therefore people who currently have that status a lot of them are happy to be hostile towards those who don't not realizing that the boot will be uh on the other foot and it's going to come back just yeah, like these things always do it's going to come back and it's going to affect them yeah, I mean, it really seems to be there's a type of it's I think what you're describing is compliance fatigue will start settling in. And and I think that will combine with that. There are real circles of trust. Hum, human networks are really forming like never before. People are finding each other and genuine trusting circles of people are starting to activate and create parallel institutions, perhaps a parallel economy. I mean, if 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 there's a vaccinated economy that's been ordained as the correct one, I have a feeling all these people are being tossed out of, I mean, there probably be a, a parallel medical system may, may, may develop or, you know, uh, 
beef di distribution models. I mean, all the things, the scarcity, I think the, the old world um, uh, uh, human networking and ability to, to solve problems uh, outside of the <laughs> top down um, um, leadership that's telling everyone what to do. I think that's going to combine with this compliance fatigue and, and it'll be a, a, a perhaps a new way of being a superior way of being uh, an interesting, new, exciting uh, type of society starts forming and all these people who bought into the narrative that was false and wrong and rang, rang hollow. I think all these people who have compliance fatigue are like, Oh, you guys are actually uh, having a good experience. You guys are actually living life. You're actually yeah. enjoying life the way we once used to. And I think people start jumping ship and we got to, we just got to attract those people through just living our lives as fully as possible, I suppose. Absolutely. Awesome. Where can people find you both online? Uh, yeah, so uh, the film, we're at uh, followthesciencefilm.com, and you can find uh, all our various websites and social media there. And, you know, if anyone's got, uh, wants to throw us a few bucks, we'd appreciate it. We're all looking for support. And I, 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 our website is www.pandata.org, so P-A-N-D-A-T-A.org. Uh, I'm also on Twitter for, for the time being. It won't be long. They're going to censor me. They gave me a, a one-week suspension a couple of days ago for something completely innocuous. I think they had just oh decided I needed to go, you know. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm Nick Hudson CT, CT for Cape Town, at Nick Hudson CT. Um, and, and, yeah. And our Twitter is SoundMindCG. And if anyone wants, and I have a website, HawkJensen.com, if anyone's curious about my, my filmmaking world. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, we're, uh, but Nick and I are having a great time uh, working on this film together. So we, we hope to, we hope to lend to this counter narrative that we spoke so, so much about today. No, and keep it up, Ruby. It's been great to chat to you both times and I'm full of admira admiration for what you're doing. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's really not the battle I wanted to have, but none of us, none of us, us wanted to but super yeah. appreciate what, everything you're doing, yeah. Zuby, and, and we're, we're all in this together. So thank you so nice much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. Have a great day. You too. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.